All right, let's take the Word of God together this morning and go to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1, and this morning we'll be looking at verses 7 and 8, and we're going to consider for our subject this morning evangelistic zeal, evangelistic zeal. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, looking together at verses 7 and 8. The Word of God tells us, so that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. As we consider this subject this morning of evangelistic zeal, I want you to notice the expression that's found there in verse number eight. Paul, as he writes, indicates the glory and the wonders of their zeal for the things of God. You'll notice the zeal that is demonstrated here is not something necessarily that they planned or thought out, but you'll notice what it says, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord. Here we have Paul giving a metaphor of the gospel going out with a sound. That sound that is being mentioned here is he is indicating that their faith was so sound and was so lively that all could hear it. Now, there are many sounds in the world. There are many things we could think about this morning, and we could think about different sounds that are made and what they indicate. But this sound that Paul is talking about, he says that this sound was so heard and so widespread and so loud that it was not only heard in Macedonia, but it was also heard in Achaia. He goes one step further and says, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad. That's quite a sound. That's a sound that indicates to us that it was far-reaching, it spread throughout. But what was this sound? What did it do? Well, we're going to see this morning that we know, first of all, this sound must have awakened because others are said to have heard it. We also know that as the word is sounded forth or the gospel goes forth, we understand that it must have been loud enough that many people heard it. So we have an awakening and we have the ability of man to be able to hear it. Paul says, your sound that went forth from you was not just heard in places close to you, but places far and wide. If we were to do a study of the geographical locations he's speaking about, we're not talking about someone just being next door. We're talking about a great distance. We're talking about a sound that is heard from a great distance away. Now today, it would not be difficult for you and I, technologically speaking, to get a sound on the other side of the world. As a matter of fact, I could pick up the phone today and record a sound, put it on the internet, and everybody in the world would hear it. Potentially, everybody could hear it. But he's talking about a sound that's not so much with the ears, the way we think about it in the classic sense of it, but he is talking about something that is so vitally important for us to understand today today. Remember, Paul has already commended the church at Thessalonica for its faithfulness. He's already commended them for their effectual faith and the essential power of, of this particular uh, location. But this morning, as we think about evangelistic zeal, 
Uh, Many times we equate zeal with what we do or we equate zeal with how we go about it, how we organize it, how we set it up. And I want you to see this morning that this is not so much about their organization as much as it is a sovereign God taking that message around the world. Uh, We're planners by nature, some more than others. Some cannot get a day without planning their day. Others are more, let's just see what happens. But I want you to understand that when the word of God comes into a people and that people lives by the principles and the precepts of the word of God, there is a sound that goes forth. There's a sound that goes out and we do not know the extent of how far the word of God and the sound of the gospel goes. We see here in verse 7 that as we begin to break these two verses apart, Paul makes mention of a couple of things here. He begins by telling us that you were examples, or we could say the same word as an example to all that believe. Sometimes our evangelistic zeal we confine to just people who are unbelievers. But notice who Paul says your example has gone forth unto, to all that believe. Uh, We are very, very forthright about this in our church, that it's important for even believers to be reminded of the gospel over and over and over again. Evangelism is not, as for much many people believe, is not just for the non-believer. It's also for the believer to be reminded about what has happened to them. You notice the first thing he says is it went forth to all that believe. You were examples. You were examples because of what happened here. You were examples to the believers in Macedonia. You were examples in the believers in Achaia. They were not only just followers of Christ, but they were examples of faith. Examples of faith this morning, we may say some examples of faith would be our holiness. They might be our courage. It might refer to our patience, but it also might refer to our meekness. Meekness is a word that is uh, often not used, but it's uh, a word that is so important to believers. Meekness. But there were patterns. Patterns that demonstrated that the word that had come unto them at Thessalonica were indeed powerful, effectual words. They had been converted by the word of God and by the gospel. There were patterns. Patterns are different than professions. We could profess and have no pattern of good works. We could profess good works, but there's not a pattern. He's saying the sound is not just about what it says, but how you demonstrate it. A pattern of good work. That's what he's talking about here, an example. But we've learned that this church was even found to be faithful in its afflictions. The power of God is most demonstrated and the gospel's power on a a believer is much more demonstrated in affliction than it is in prosperity. How strong a man or woman's faith is often more demonstrated and that pattern is given when they are under affliction. This church at Thessalonica had been under affliction. We we recall in Acts 17 how they were afflicted because of Paul and what Paul had brought to this place. However, we understand that They were these examples to all that believe in these places. He talks about Macedonia first. Macedonia, we often would refer to and understand as as at Philippi and understand that this was the gospel was first preached there at Philippi. And yet the people at Thessalonica 
were examples to the believers in Philippi. Where the gospel first went, Philippi, Paul says, you were an example even to the people who received the gospel first. That's remarkable. Sometimes we think people that are first are often the soundest or the best or the greatest example. It doesn't mean that the church at Philippi was not, but he says, you Thessalonians, you were such an example that even where the gospel went first, you were an example to them. The Thessalonians here, maybe, we're not told. Paul just uses the word example. We're not told exactly how that faith and that grace was exercised, but there was something in the pattern of their works that led them to be an example. When Paul points out an example, he says, this is one you can follow. When Paul says, this is an example of faith, this is a person or a group that you can follow their pattern. The Thessalonians were examples to even those that at Philippi. They could copy after them. I love the principle we often hear about it that sometimes even the Lord himself said the first will sometimes be last and the last will sometimes be first. But then he mentions in Achaia. This is another part of Greece. It was a great metropolis. It was a place where Corinth was at. It's a considerable church at Corinth. We understand that oftentimes we read about Corinth and we read the letters to the Corinthians and we're often very quick to pass judgment on the Corinthian church and say, now that's a church example of a mess. Corinth had issues, of course. Corinth had problems. Every church does and every church did, sadly. But these saints at Thessalonica were said they could even be an example to the church at Corinth. An example to all that believe in Macedonia, all that believe in Achaia. These saints at Thessalonica set forth an example. They set forth an example in their goodness. They set forth an example maybe in their giving. But they are examples that other churches and other believers could follow. When we think about this morning, about our own example, and we think about all that we try to do, notice I don't think there was a plan set out where the Thessalonians said, now let's set out to be a pattern. But because of their obedience to the word of God, they became an example. And because of their example, they sounded out the word of God. They sounded it out. They sounded what had happened in them. He says, as a result of verse 7, this example, for from you, here's why you are a pattern, sounded out the word of the Lord. Folks, listen, there are patterns of life in unbelievers and believers. We could find a, 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 an idol, uh, not in the sense of worship, but somebody we, we want to pattern our life after. And we say, now that's a good pattern to follow. The important thing here, he says, is you can follow this pattern because what sounded out from them was the word of the Lord. There are good examples in the world that might be good as, as far as a secular culture, but understand what we want to be patterns and examples of is examples that comes from the word of God, that comes from the word of the Lord. We want to be a pattern of godliness, of holiness, of righteousness. Not just a person who lives a good life. And yet, this sounded out the word of the Lord. 
The word of the Lord, of course, is a reference to the entirety of the scriptures, but it's also meant to intend the gospel as well. Why is it from the word of the Lord or out of the word? Because the gospel is from the Lord. The gospel is not a man-made series of, of, of life changes and a philosophy. It is the gospel that Jesus Christ is the author of. He is the finisher of. He is the one. And yet, as the author of it, he is also the subject of the gospel. When we talk about the gospel, we're not talking about just pointing to, 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 to some kind of a, a pattern of belief that Jesus is associated with. It is pointing people to Jesus Christ alone as the only means of salvation, my only righteousness, my only hope. It's pointing people to Christ. And yet, we find that Paul is a minister of that gospel. And probably all of us, if we were to, again, I don't recommend we do this per se, say who's the, who's the greatest gospel hero of the Bible? Many people, probably the majority of the people here would say it's got to be the Apostle Paul. Yet here's the Apostle Paul who's probably considered the greatest gospel preacher who's ever lived, and he says, you can follow the example of the Thessalonians. I would tell you that in Thessalonica, not everybody was a great quote-unquote preacher. Not everybody could stand up and take the sacred text and could preach the word of God, but the pattern of life, they showed their evangelistic zeal and their desire to obey the Lord. I know people who've told me over the years, I want to go and serve the Lord on a foreign mission field, but they don't obey God in their day-to-day -day life. They say, but I'm so, I'm so zealous for evangelism. And I say, but are you obeying God in your day-to-day -day life? And so many people say, well, no, but I know if God will just get me to that place. Listen, if you will not obey God where you are today, God could send you to the deepest, darkest mission field and you won't obey him there. You won't do it. Paul's not even talking about their preaching ability. He's talking about your pattern of work sounded out the word of the Lord. Again, sometimes we're very quick to give God the pattern instead of allowing his pattern to be the way. We say, God, here's what I'm going to do. Now, if you'd like to come along and bless my efforts, it doesn't work that way. It is God's word sounds forth from us and we work his way. How many people have you known over the years who've tried to set out on an endeavor and they've tried to pull God along into their plan only to find uh, that's not the right way? Yeah, what is it to understand here that Paul knew that we're just simply dispensers of the gospel. We're conduits to bring the gospel to a world that needs to hear it. We rely on God's grace to convert. We rely on his grace to convict through the power of the Holy Spirit. Success is not based upon how many conversions we quote unquote get. Success is rightly proclaiming and preaching and sounding forth the word of God. God has never said the result, I'm leaving up to you. There are many, quote unquote, successful believers who live their entire life and never saw the fruit of their labor. There are missionaries who've been dropped in a jungle and the very day they were dropped in the jungle, they were killed. Would you say that their life was a waste? No, you would say there was something that led that person to go and take the gospel. Success is not based upon the numbers. Success is based on obedience. Am I willing to obey 
even if I don't see results. And yet this evangelistic zeal, he said, it was still sounding forth from you. Even through your affliction, through your trial, through your struggle, it's interesting, you start to read some commentaries on the sound and this phrase sounded out and many pointed back to the illusion or the metaphor of a trumpet. A trumpet, just because throughout the scripture, oftentimes uh, we see even the gospel being compared to the blowing of a trumpet. Uh, we see trumpets being used even in the Old Testament for a gathering of the people in Israel in the Old Testament. The trumpet was also blown in the Old Testament during the years of Jubilee, which was a proclamation of liberty. It was a proclamation of debts being forgiven. It was a, a, a proclamation of a restoration, which is exactly, in a spiritual sense, what the gospel does. It releases us from our debt, the debt of sin that we owed. The gospel releases that, proclaims liberty, this trumpet also was used to prepare for war, to prepare for battle. Every soldier knew the sound that the trumpet made so that it was not mistaken for any other instrument. They knew that if the trumpet sounded, it was time to go to battle. It would not be an uncertain sound. This is important. When the word of God sounds forth from you, it is not an uncertain sound. It is a sound that is known. We have so many sounds going forth from our churches today that it's not the sound of the word of the Lord. It's the sound of a man's philosophy and a man's desire and a man's program, and it's not the gospel. And the only sound that matters is the sound that bursts forth from the word of God. I began telling us that man can make a lot of sounds, uncertain sounds, but this trumpet, the sounding forth was a certain sound. And then even just the simplicity of the trumpet was also used as a joyful sound. When it's played properly, it's a joyful sound. When the trumpet sounds as it should, when the trumpet is what it needs to be, it is a public open declaration. Paul uses this metaphor, this picture by saying that as this sound went out from the Thessalonians, it's to be understood as the pure gospel. It went to places beyond them. The fame of it, the report of it, was being preached not just in Thessalonica, but everywhere it went, it sounded forth. Anytime the Bible repeats things, we ought to take notice. He mentions again in verse number 8, He'd already said, you're an example to all who believe in Macedonia and Achaia. He repeats it again. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place, every place your faith to God word is spread abroad. People often talk about wanting to have a testimony of Christ, a testimony of the Lord. I think Paul's confirming your testimony of the Lord went everywhere. There was no place that your testimony was not known, not only at Philippi, not only at Macedonia or Achaia or Berea or Athens or Corinth, all other cities in between, these towns in these different countries, other parts of the world. Part of the uproar that was happening there at Thessalonica, if you study your Bible, we know that that uproar that 
led them to drag the authorities to drag the believers out into the street was the same thing that carried over into Berea. Large numbers of Greeks, large numbers of Jews were hearing the word and were converted. Thessalonica was a, we learned in our introductory message to this that Thessalonica was a pretty great metropolis. It was a bustling place. It was a bustling city with trade and many things going on. People were coming in and out. No doubt as people came in off of the sea, the word sounded forth. It's often very tempting. And again, I just say this by way of application. It's often very tempting to say the sound that we proclaim from this place really doesn't matter. Some people make the grave mistake of saying there's no need for the trumpet to sound about the gospel because we're all believers here. We're all saved. That's exactly opposite. (laughs) You should have come to the house of God today praying and hoping that the gospel would be proclaimed again. And that you were not going to be filled with fluff. And that you were not going to be given self-help measures to go and only find yourself by Tuesday failing at your self-help. Because your self-help will always fail you. No self-help measure has ever helped anybody. But the gospel, even to the believer, is the greatest medicine that can ever be administered. I need to be reminded of it every day. But notice he says, and I think this was so important when I was reading it this week, he talks about in Macedonia, Achaia, but also in every place, and here's this, here's this phrase, your faith to Godward is spread abroad. Remembering this faith, the gospel in which they had received, the gospel now that they were not just claiming and professing, but the gospel that they were absolutely living The gospel that had God as its object, had God as the center of why it did, it was valuable. It wasn't something they kept to themselves. You know, sometimes you drive around and you look at all the churches, and again, this is not a condemnation on churches. There's a lot of like-minded churches even where we are. But I often think about and I'll pass by a church, and it, it doesn't really matter for my thought process what the denomination is, per se. But I think about these bodies of believers meeting. And I often ask myself the question, I wonder how many of these churches, and maybe even ours, every day when I pull up into this parking lot, and I wonder, is the gospel being kept to ourselves, or is it really sounding forth through us? Are we patterns Is that church a pattern of the word of the Lord? Are we a pattern, an example of the word of the Lord? Or are we just a place where you'll come and hear the good word? And listen, we should look to the Thessalonians, not in their person, but in their God. Say, listen, they're an example. Not because of everything they organized. So many of us are trying to build our own testimony. We're trying to build what we are in God, what we are in Christ. Instead of saying, listen, as we preach and proclaim and live out the word of God, I believe it with everything that's in me that the word of God will sound forth if we will just be obedient. You know, the hardest thing for any human being to do is to obey. 
It starts as a child and it goes all the way up until we draw our last breath. There are people that die on that deathbed in a spirit of rebellion. We don't realize how rebellious we actually are. The sounding forth, they didn't keep it. They didn't hide it. They declared it not just in word, but they declared it in deeds. And they declared it in deeds and in words by walking in agreement with the word. A lot of people make a decision to obey God. I'm going to do better obeying God. I'm going to do better. I'm I'm making a vow. I'm going to do better to obey God. Yet oftentimes in our decision to obey God, we find ourselves failing in that. We have to keep in mind this morning that as the Thessalonians lived this out, we cannot lose sight of the reality that all of this was true was because of what we read in verses 5 and 6. The gospel, remember what Paul said, the gospel came not unto you in word only. We, we pulled that apart last week and we looked at that and say, listen, you could sit under the word of God being given and preached and taught and spoken. And if it only comes in word, it will have no lasting effect. But remember what Paul told them? He said it didn't come in word only, but also in power. If there is not the power of the Holy Ghost, we are not going to be examples. The Word of God is not going to sound forth unless the Word comes in power. That's where Paul first used the example in verse 6, and ye became followers of us, having received the Word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Remember, we talked one week about what what spiritual joy is. True joy is only given by the Holy Spirit. You ask most people who are without God today what they're lacking most. And I will tell you, they'll say a lot of things. A better job, more money, better family. But you know what they're really lacking? Joy. They've tried everything to make themselves joyful. Do you know why the bars are full? Do you think it's just because of the effect? They're searching for something in the bottom of that glass. You know why drug use is rampant around us? They're looking for joy. It's never been found in the bottom of a glass. It's never been found in a drug. Spiritual joy only comes through the gospel being delivered in word and in power. And when the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence, even in affliction, you can still be joyful. It's unexplainable some things you people, people will tell they go through. But when you find out they're a believer, you understand the only reason they're as joyful as they are is because they've got the Holy Spirit of God. This joy, this gospel that sounded forth, this evangelistic zeal. You you hear that title and you think we're going to come in today and we're going to learn the most effective way to reach people. That's not what Paul says. Oh, there's some good ideas. There's some good methods out there. I'm afraid some of those methods are becoming the main thing instead of the gospel and power and word being the main thing. 
Man is so desperate to see a sinful, sinful man respond to him that he tries all sorts of things. And yet Paul says, you were examples to all that believe because the word sounded forth. Everywhere your faith. And I love this. Paul says, so that we need not to speak anything. I thought about this phrase for a bit. I read through it the first time and I thought I got it. I thought, that's obvious what he's talking about. But look at it again. So that we need not to speak anything. What is the so that about? The so that goes back to all that we've read up to this point. Not just verse 7. Folks, that's why we do this in an expositional manner. That's why you didn't come in today and I didn't pull one verse from one chapter of a book because we've we've been building towards this. We've been building to the reality that what Paul is proclaiming is that all of these things have led me to come to this conclusion that we need not speak anything. We can't ignore what we've already talked about. The effectual faith, the electing love of God, the essential power, and now we get to this evangelistic zeal. So many people want to reverse this. They want evangelistic zeal before the power of God actually comes. They want evangelistic zeal before effectual faith comes. We, we need to understand that Paul is, is talking about the preaching of the gospel, of course, your profession of your faith. Your faith is known in several places. But it was very common and it seemed to be usual with Paul and the apostles When they came to any place, they came and they often spoke of the success that the gospel had had in other places. But he said, with this church, I come unto you and I can't give you another example that's any more than what you already are. I was floored by that. He's basically telling them, I would normally come in and I would give you an example of another church in another place and what they're doing. He said, but you've given us reason that we have nothing more to add. And I thought, Lord, is that right? Is, Is that what Paul is saying? Well, you take in the context. Paul's telling them you have been an example that others can follow. But it's unnecessary for me to remind you of other places because you are an example. Perfect? No. Because we're going to find out that as we read and work through 1st and 2nd Thessalonians back to back, they're not perfect. I grew up in an environment, and I've, sp- I've shared this with you, that was always searching for the next thing. If, if we'll just pattern this, and we'll pattern this, and we'll set up this, and we'll set up that. If we'll follow the pattern, we'll have results. Years I followed that. I've shared with some of you privately, personally. I patterned my life after another man in order that I would have that man's success. It doesn't work. I set up everything. I dressed, I spoke, I preached in an attempt to mimic. 
doesn't work. I said, if that's that man's vision, then that's got to be my vision. It doesn't matter what church you're called to. It works everywhere. It doesn't. (laughs) There is no pull it off the shelf and say, if you set your church up this way and you set up all these patterns and you set up all these things, you're going to get the results you're seeking. No, I found out that over time, what really needed to be important and what needed to be the center of everything we did was this book right here. And suddenly, I quit following patterns that, again, these men and these churches, they were seeing fruits of success. I'm not saying these are heretics. I'm just telling you, I realized what we really want sounding forth is not our latest pattern of what we think might work, but that the word of God sounds forth from us. That we're living in obedience, that everywhere we go, you can't help but know the word of God is living in them. Oh, that may, that may mean you don't look like every other church. How many of us who've been here a while have talked about that? We don't look like a lot of other churches. We're not trying to be another church. We're just, we're just trying to follow the pattern the Word of God gives us, and whatever the Lord does in His power, we'll trust Him with that. This isn't our work anyway. This isn't our church. This isn't my church. It's, it's real quick to take ownership. This is the Lord's church. This is one congregation of many who are sounding forth the word of God and they're faithful and they're preaching the pure gospel. It's not about being in competition with another. But maybe we can be an example of the believers. Paul clearly here shows one of those other evidences we've been talking about. He's already reminded them that you had the evidence of the love of God on you. You have the evidence of this effectual faith, your works, your love. You have the evidence that God is in you by the power of God. But now your evangelistic zeal has become an example and a pattern for all who believe. This church was one of what was considered to be the youngest It was young in faith. Now, sometimes we get the idea in our churches that age equates maturity. (laughs) And we think, well, if you have a church of all people who are older, you're going to have a much healthier church. It's never been about physical age. Now, again, there are things the Bible teaches us that as being young in the faith, we shouldn't be a part of that. That's not the role yet. However, this church, as far as its age was young and how long it had been established and how recent the conversions were. But yet Paul says, here's this young church that can be used as an example for others to follow. Here's what I find, and this may not interest you. It interests me, so I'm going to share it with you. But I find that churches are often very envious of one another. They look and they hear somebody's having something good happen at their church and they say, why can't that happen where we are? And we begin to make excuses. We say that church is that because they have that. That church is that because they are involved in that. That's, you know, this happens now where people say, well, that, that church can't be right because it's all young believers. They, they don't know all the ins and outs of being a solid, grounded church. Listen, sometimes it's that young, 
zeal of the things of God that are demonstrating the pattern. See, what I don't think you're understanding and we're not seeing is Paul was holding up a very young church and saying, you at Corinth and Philippi, who are the older churches, you could learn something from the younger church. Now, again, don't go to an extreme on that. There are young, young churches that are too young. They've got people leading who don't even really fully understand the gospel of God yet. But I will tell you this. When Paul pointed them out, this is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there's no arguing with it. Paul wasn't wrong in his assessment of the church at Thessalonica. In other words, we can't say Paul didn't know what he was talking about. No, it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which means this is authentic and true. And Paul said that about this church. So we might think today, we think about our own examples. Examples in worship. Our worship as a church is very, very simple intentionally. It's not flashy. It's not meant to say, look at us. It just simply is meant to point people to worship the true and living God. Our example of faithfulness is not so that people will say, hey, look how faithful you are. No, it's look how faithful our God is. Look how faithful God is. Because I can tell you this, we will not always be faithful. There will be a day you'll wake up and you'll say, I've had it for a while. I've had it. And you'll say, I would never do that. (laughs) You think too highly of yourself. There have been preachers who've gotten up on a Sunday morning and say, I've had it. He who was supposed to try to help lead says, I've had it. Thank God he's not holding us to our faithfulness, but his faithfulness is what I'm relying upon. We should be examples in our conversation, our conduct, how we live our lives. Paul's telling this church, you became witnesses. You became evangelists. You became missionaries. Not in a professional sense, by the way. But a person who simply spoke and lived what they believed. It's, be, it's becoming professionalized. Being a preacher of the gospel is now being professionalized. Being an evangelist is now being professionalized. It's hard now to even get on the mission field without being involved in a professional manner, in a corporation, somehow, some way. <laughs> None of this existed in those days. But yet, Paul says the word sounded forth from them. There's a lot of applications we could make there. But what is it? An evangelistic zeal is simply a person who's been chosen to salvation. We've learned that. But has been brought to a living, vital union with Christ. When there's a vital union with Christ, there will automatically be a burden for people. Now, don't mistake that. People often compare burdens. They say, if you're not burdened like I am, your burden must not be real. Don't ever do that. 
God has gifted every one of us in a different way, and a burden is not always demonstrated exactly the same. Remember, I told you I grew up following patterns, and I believe every one of you at that time, I would have said every one of us has to be exactly alike. And if you don't share my burden the way I share it, there's something wrong with you. I will tell you this, that burden for people shows up in a lot of different ways. There are people who are, who are so burdened for people and you don't know anything about it and you don't know what they're doing because they don't publish it. Excuse me, they're not taking a selfie of every convert. They're not saying, look what I've done. They're just simply serving God and nobody knows about it, but the only one who needs to know about it, and that's God himself. Because the only accountability I'm going to have is before the Lord. Was I faithful with what you gave me to do? Was I a good steward? This burden for people will move us to witness other people. Not just in words, but in deeds. As the word of God is sounded out. And by the way, I think one of the greatest things we can do is if a man or a ministry is preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ, support and pray for that ministry. I'm not talking about money per se. Support that ministry. We're not in competition. <laughs> we're not in competition. We're simply saying, listen, we want to follow the example of this church at Thessalonica and just simply know that it could be said about us that the word of God is sounding forth from you. The word of the Lord sounded forth. Let's stand together if you would, and we'll finish with our reading from the Valley of Vision as we conclude this time together. This is simply from the page entitled Faith. Very appropriate for what we've just heard. Simply says this, My God, I bless thee that thou hast given me the eye of faith to see thee as Father, to know thee as a covenant God to experience thy love planted in me, for faith is the grace of union, by which I spell out my entitlements to thee. Faith casts my anchor upwards, where I trust in thee, and engage thee to be my Lord. Be pleased to live and move within me, breathing in my prayers, inhabiting my praises, speaking in my words, moving in my actions, living in my life, causing me to grow in grace." Thy bounteous goodness has helped me believe, but my faith is weak and wavering. Its light dim, its steps tottering, its increase slow, its backslidings frequent. It should scale the heavens, but lies groveling in the dust. Lord, fan this divine spark into glowing flame. When faith sleeps, my heart becomes an unclean thing. The fount of every loathsome desire, the cage of unclean lust, all fluttering to escape the noxious tree of deadly fruit, the open wayside of earthly tares. Lord, awake faith to put forth its strength until all heaven fills my soul and all impurity is cast out. Lord, as we bring this time in the word to a close for this hour, we thank you. Lord, that the word has been clearly spoken to us, that the Holy Spirit of God will give us discernment, understanding, and application. Lord, we all need this today. We all need to be reminded. And Father, I thank you that you have pointed us to this text at this time. Lord, we thank you that your word is never 
ever will it return void. But Lord, we know today that if the word is not accompanied in power, they will just be words. I pray and plead with you today that the word of God will come in word and power. And this will have an effect on us. Father, may we have a burden, a burden for people that comes as a result of the work that you have done in us. Father, we pray now that you'll bless this time we have to fellowship one with another. Lord, may it be encouraging, may it be edifying. Lord, may we understand that even the words in which we speak to one another, if they are God-given words, they may be the exact words someone needs to hear today. And Lord, we will praise you and thank you for all that you are and all that you've done. And it's in Christ's name I pray, and for his sake, I ask these things. Amen.